0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Wednesday, August 11th, 2021. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, all the flipping and folding phone news from today's Samsung Galaxy Unpacked event. A big crypto crime in the DeFi space. Did AWS beat out Microsoft for a secret NSA contract? And why are all of the major tech platforms so concerned about protecting kids all of a sudden? Not that that's a bad thing. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. So it was another Galaxy Unpacked event from Samsung this morning, but today it was mostly about foldables. Samsung announced the Galaxy Z Fold 3 with a 120Hz 7.6-inch primary screen, S Pen support, and IPX8 water resistance, all of this on sale starting August 27th for $1,799. The Z Fold is the long, candy bar-looking foldable that has a fully functional cover screen that operates like a normal slab of glass smartphone, but when you unfold it to get to the main screen, you have that tablet-style 6.7-inch display, quoting 9to5Google. In terms of size, it's virtually identical to the Galaxy Z Fold 2, with a 6.2-inch outer display and a 7.6-inch inner display. That's not to say improvements can't be found, though. With the outer display, Samsung is upgrading the HD Plus panel with a faster 120 hertz refresh rate without sacrificing on resolution or the Super AMOLED tech. The inner display, meanwhile, is the same 7.6 inch 120 hertz panel, but this time with thinner bezels for an overall smaller footprint. 67.1 by 158.2 by 16 millimeters when folded, and 128.1 by 158.2 by 6.4 millimeters when opened up. Weight also drops a bit to 271 grams. There's also a selfie camera that hides underneath the inner display a first for any Samsung product. You'll take a hit on quality at just 4 megapixels, but the outer display has its own 10-megapixel selfie camera, and you can also use the rear shooters with the cover display for even better quality. Sticking with the hardware, Samsung has only marginally altered the design with more rounded corners and an updated design for the camera module. The cameras themselves, though, are mostly unchanged from the Fold 2 with a trio of 12 megapixel sensors, standard ultra-wide and telephoto, only using Corning DX Plus glass over top this time. Durability is a clear area Samsung tried to improve on the Fold 3 too. The entire package now offers actual water resistance rated at IPX8 which should mean that an accidental drop in the water, spill, or getting caught in the rain should leave the device just fine. Samsung also says that the top plastic layer of the Fold 3's display is 80% stronger than the Fold 2 and should feel smoother to the touch. On the note of that display, Samsung has also managed to bring the S Pen to its foldables. You'll get the same accurate, and low-latency writing, as the Note series is known for, but with a special S Pen Fold Edition that has a retractable tip to prevent damage to the screen. A special case will also be available to hold the stylus, but neither are included, and the S Pen won't work on the outer display. Under the hood, the Galaxy Z Fold 3 offers up the Snapdragon 888 processor with its full 5G support, including MMWave. That's paired with 12GB of RAM on all models and either 256GB or 512GB of storage. There's no microSD card slot or headphone jack for that matter. Stereo speakers are also here, end quote. So that's the Fold. Samsung, however, also announced the Galaxy Z Flip Three with a 120 hertz, 6.7-inch internal display, plus a 1.9-inch fold-out panel starting at $999, shipping August 26th. This is the phone that looks sort of like a Razer flip phone of old. Quoting 9to5Google again, One of the first thoughts around foldable smartphones is a high price tag, but that tune is changing. Today, Samsung is officially announcing the Galaxy Z Flip 3, its first foldable smartphone to carry a triple-digit price. Unlike its most expensive counterpart, the Galaxy Z Fold 3, the Flip series is designed to imitate the form factor of a classic flip phone. You can't do much from the outside, but you'll end up with a smaller, more pocketable device that still packs a sizable display. Getting right to the internal display, it's a 6.7-inch FHD Plus display, just like the last time around, though now with a faster 120Hz refresh rate. When folded, there is still a cover display, and this time it's a much bigger 1.9-inch panel that's big enough to show a full text message or display additional information on a widget. The Flip 3 comes in at a tiny 72.2 by 86.4 by 17.1 millimeters when folded up and weighs 183 grams, just a little more than the standard Galaxy S21. Like the Fold 3, Samsung also says the plastic outer layer of the Flip's main display is 80% stronger, but it won't work with the S Pen but the hardware is also IPX8 water-resistant. Looking at the spec sheet, there's a Snapdragon 888 and its associated 5G at the core, MMWave included. That's paired with eight gigabytes of RAM and either 128 gigabytes or 256 gigabytes of internal storage. The package is powered by a 3,300 milliamp hour battery that accepts 15 watts wired charging and 10 watts wireless. In the camera department, Samsung is offering a 10 megapixel selfie camera on the internal display with a duo of 12 megapixel sensors on the outside. One is a standard lens with the other ultra wide, both using Corning DX glass. End quote. I'd say that the Fold is the sexier-looking phone, though the Flip is pretty impressive-looking unfolded. Those bezels are tiny. Of course, it's way more expensive, too. Anyway, there's more. Samsung also announced the Galaxy Watch 4, starting at $249, and Galaxy Watch 4 Classic, starting at $349, both with Wear OS powered by Samsung, shipping August 27th, quoting The Verge. I get the sense with these two smartwatches that Samsung is hitting a bit of a reset button with its wearables lineup. Yes, there's the Wear OS operating system, but Samsung is also taking the opportunity to tweak the branding on its ranges. So instead of splitting its smartwatches between the active and regular ranges, now there's the default Watch 4 and the more premium Watch 4 Classic. The Watch 4 is best thought of as a successor to the Watch Active 2 from 2019, which means that yes, Samsung has skipped the Active 3. Rest in peace. While the Watch 4 Classic, with its chunkier design and rotating bezel, looks like a follow-up to last year's Watch 3. Basically, the Galaxy Watch 4 is now the default, and the Classic is the step-up version. The big difference between the two models is that the Watch 4 Classic has one of those physical rotating bezels that we've liked so much on Samsung's previous smartwatches, while if you opt for the standard Watch 4, there's a touch-sensitive bezel accessible by swiping at the edges of the screen. The Watch 4 Classic is also made of a more premium stainless steel rather than the aluminum you'll find on the Watch 4. On the right of both watches are a pair of control buttons. The lack of physical bezel means the Watch 4 is more compact of the two models, and it's also around a millimeter slimmer than its predecessor, the Active 2. The Watch 4 is available in 40 millimeter and 44 millimeter versions, while the Watch 4 Classic is available in 42 and 46 millimeter versions. Both ranges have the same screen sizes and resolutions, with a choice of either a 1.2 inch 396 by 396 display in the smaller body or a 1.4 inch 450 by 450 display in the larger one. That means higher resolution screens across the board, particularly if you opt for a larger model. External differences aside, internally both watches share a lot of the same specs. They're both powered by the same 5 nanometer Exynos W920 processor Samsung detailed yesterday, paired with 1.5 gigabytes of RAM and 16 gigabytes of storage. Battery capacity varies between sizes, but Samsung reckons you'll average around 40 hours of battery life regardless of model. There's LTE on select models, but if you were hoping for 5G, you'll be disappointed. Samsung says it doesn't think it's worth it because the amount of data smart watch's process is too small, end quote. And one more thing. Samsung also announced the $150 Galaxy Buds 2 with active noise cancellation and a similar design to the Galaxy Buds Pro, all available August 27th. These are apparently the smallest and lightest wireless earbuds yet, with active noise canceling and wireless charging. Promo code RIDE. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Experience the perfect blend of style and comfort with Cuts Kutz Clothing. Cutsclothing.com, promo code RIDE for 20% off. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID, and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit Collide.com slash Ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot slash Ride, in one of the biggest crypto heists of all time, reportedly, the group behind Poly Network, a cross chain protocol used for DeFi applications, says a hacker has stolen $611 million worth of crypto using what one researcher thinks was a basic crypto flaw, quoting the block. Poly Network is a protocol for swapping tokens across multiple blockchains, including Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Ontology. It was formed by an alliance between the teams behind multiple blockchain platforms, namely NEO, Ontology, and SwitchAO. According to the block research's Igor Gamardiev, the root cause of the hack was a cryptography issue, which is not usually the case. It may have been similar to the AnySwap exploit, which saw 7.9 million stolen due to a hacker reversing the private key. The hack has also had wider implications. As a result of it, O3, a trading pool that uses Poly Network to trade tokens among different blockchains, has had to suspend its cross-chain functionality. The assets stolen were $273 million worth of Ethereum tokens, $253 million in tokens on Binance Smart Chain, and $85 million in USDC on the Polygon network. Since the theft... Tether has blacklisted the USDT on Ethereum that was stolen in the attack, roughly $33 million in tokens. That means they can no longer be moved, end quote. Even more wild, the attacker who stole the tokens is now reportedly returning them, at least as of now, returning more than $4 million in USDC, BTC, B, Shiba, and others saying they were, quote, ready to surrender, quoting the block again. After the heist, blockchain security firm SlowMist claimed that they already tracked down the attacker's IP and email information while the investigation on other ID intel relating to the attacker continued. SlowMist's Weibo post on Tuesday suggested that the attacker used a little-known Chinese crypto exchange called Hu when putting together the funds for the attack, hinting at how their digital footprint was trailed at the beginning. Other crypto sleuths also found details relating to other exchanges that may help to identify them. Around 4 UTC time on Wednesday, the attacker wrote, quote, ready to return the fund in an Ethereum transaction that was sent from the Poly Network exploiter address to itself. That message was followed by another one that reads, quote, failed to contact the Poly. I need a secured multi-sig wallet from you, end quote. About 20 minutes later, the team behind the Poly Network responded to the exploiter address through a transaction that it is, quote, preparing a multi-sig address controlled by known Poly addresses, end quote. And in a follow-up transaction, the Poly Network team identified three addresses that they hope the attacker returns the funds to. The money is currently being sent to these addresses, end quote. According to sources, the NSA awarded a cloud computing contract worth up to $10 billion to AWS. But, you know, it's the NSA, so this was a secret contract unlike the whole Jedi contract for the Pentagon. However, like that brouhaha, there are hurt feelings here too, as Microsoft has reportedly filed a bid protest with the General Accounting Office in response to ostensibly losing out on the deal, quoting NextGov.com. The contract's codename is Wild and Stormy, according to protest filings, and it represents the second multibillion-dollar cloud contract the U.S. intelligence community, made up of 17 agencies including the NSA, has awarded in the past year. In November, the CIA awarded its C2E contract, potentially worth tens of billions of dollars, to five companies—AWS, Microsoft, Google, Oracle, and IBM—that will compete for specific task orders for certain intelligence needs. Details on the NSA's newly awarded cloud contract are sparse, but the acquisition appears to be part of the NSA's attempt to modernize its primary classified data repository, the Intelligence Community GovCloud. For the better part of a decade, the NSA has moved its data, including signals intelligence and other foreign surveillance and intelligence information it ingests from multiple repositories around the globe, into this internally operated data lake analysts from the NSA and other IC agencies can run queries and perform analytics against. In 2020, intelligence officials signaled an intent to bring in a commercial cloud provider to meet demands caused by exponential data growth and massive processing and analytics requirements that are challenging the NSA's ability to scale. The effort, called the Hybrid Compute Initiative, would effectively move the NSA's crown jewel intelligence data from its own servers to servers operated by a commercial cloud provider, end quote. Devs, these things just keep coming. OpenAI has debuted a private beta for Codex, an API for turning natural language into code of one of over a dozen coding languages. Codex, by the way, is what powers GitHub's Copilot, quoting VentureBeat. Able to understand more than a dozen programming languages, Codex can interpret commands in plain English and execute them, making it possible to build a natural language interface for existing apps. According to OpenAI, the Codex model available via the API is most capable in Python, but is also proficient in JavaScript, Go, Perl, PHP, Ruby, Swift, TypeScript, Shell, and others. Its memory, 14 kilobytes for the Python code, enables it to take into account contextual information while performing programming tasks, including transpilation, explaining code, and refactoring code. OpenAI says that Codex will be offered for free during the initial period, quote, Codex empowers computers to better understand people's intent, which can empower anyone to do more with computers, the company wrote in a blog post. We are now inviting businesses and developers to build on top of OpenAI Codex through our API, end quote. The rolling controversy around Apple scanning photos for CSAM images continues. But have you noticed there is a bit of a trend going on with all of the platforms suddenly pulling out all of the stops to protect kids better online? I'm not saying there's anything nefarious behind this and certainly nothing wrong. Protecting kids is a good thing. But why is this happening now? Why all of a sudden has there been some sort of behind-the-scenes pressure from, I don't know, some authorities somewhere about getting serious about protecting kids. For example, just so far this week, Google announced it will let under 18 users delist photos by request, restrict ad targeting of children based on age, gender, or interests, and a lot more, including with YouTube, quoting The Verge. Google says it's introducing its changes based on new regulations being introduced in some countries, and that it wants to offer, quote, consistent product experiences and user controls globally. Requesting an images removal from Google's image search won't remove it from the web entirely, Google cautions, but it says this should give users more control over the spread of their images. Alongside its changes to ad targeting, Google also says it's expanding safeguards to stop age-sensitive ad categories from being shown to teens. The search giant is also making a number of other tweaks to its services for children. Safe search will now be on by default for users under the age of 18 after previously being on by default for users under 13. The feature which blocks explicit results from appearing in search is also coming to Google's web browser on smart displays. Users under the age of 18 will also no longer be able to turn location history on in their Google account setting. Google says the setting is already off by default for all accounts. Assistant-enabled smart devices will also be able to block news, podcasts, and access to the web in the coming months. On YouTube, autoplay will be off by default for kids under 18, and it's turning on break reminders. YouTube Kids is getting a new autoplay option, but it'll also be off by default, and there will be new resources available, quote, for young people and their parents to help them better understand Google's data practices, end quote. The changes are similar to what Facebook introduced last month, when it said Instagram accounts for kids under 16 will be set to private by default, meaning users have to choose to make their profiles public. It also banned ads targeted at children based on their interests or their activity, although it still allowed them to be targeted based on age, gender, and location, end quote. Hey, since it is Samsung's day, and since you all gave me so much crap for complaining about that earlier Dell laptop that I bought, I thought I should let you know that I replaced that one with one of those Galaxy Book Pro 360s. And yes, you were right. It's not the Windows ecosystem that sucks. It's, well, it's if you buy a mid-range laptop, you get what you pay for. However, this new Galaxy Book Pro 360 works great. I feel like the screen is maybe the best I've ever seen on a laptop. It's insanely thin and sexy. Like, this thing is so thin it makes the MacBook Air look and feel like the phone book, which, remember those? They were big and thick and heavy. The only niggle that I have actually is that the trackpad is still sort of frustrating. I don't know why Apple is the only one that can get that perfect and everyone else just kind of gets halfway there, but anyway yeah, good build quality allows me to feel how grown up the Windows platform is these days. So consider this a mea culpa. Windows fans, talk to you tomorrow. Oh, and real quick edit, we do have a Twitter space tonight at the usual time, 9pm Eastern, 6pm Pacific. We're going to be talking about what else? Today's Samsung event and some other things as well. Now, talk to you tomorrow.